God willing, today we're going to continue our series on the priesthood, and today we're going to focus on the ranks of the priesthood. Um, but before we start, I wanted to see if you guys know what all the ranks of the priesthood are that we have in the church, starting from the lowest to the highest. Does anyone want to, to try? What's the lowest rank of priesthood? If you can call it priesthood, I mean the clerical rank. No, we'll start from the very bottom, which is not really priesthood, but just so can see what are the different ordained ranks. You know all these already. Is anyone else? Okay, so the deacon, right, the deacon has multiple ranks. So what's the lowest rank of the deacon? No, the deacon is a higher. Chanter, so chanter is the lowest rank. Those are the deacons that you said wear anything except the white tunic. This is chanter. The role of the chant is the chant. You learn the chant to be the chant leading the liturgy, right? That's actually the lowest rank of the deacon. The one who leads the liturgy is the lowest rank of the deacon. Then what's the next rank after that? Reader. Reader wears what? The red stole. Right? That's the red stole. That's how you distinguish the reader from the chanter. And what is the role of the reader? Reads the readings in the, in the church. But actually, when you read the prayers for the ordination of the reader, um, he's supposed to be able to read and interpret all of Scripture. Okay, so it's not just a person who can stand and read words, but a person who understands the scripture and studies it and can teach it. Okay? And that's one of the things, the responsibilities of the reader ongoing is to study the word of God. This is why um, like it's, it's preferable for those people who are readers to like have a service, like let's say some school service or some other service. Um, so they're like in, in, entrenched in the church, right? Because they have an important role in the church. So that's the reader. Then the rank above reader, The ones that wear the gold. You said it before. Subdeacon. So why is it so so you said subdeacon as being the lowest rank because sub means like under. So like the lowest rank of deacon. But actually it's referring to less than deacon. So that the so the rank so subdeacon, the the, the, the the role of the subdeacon is supposed to be the one who um is is the is the one who arranges the order in the church. Right? So they're the ones responsible for the vessels in the altar. They're the ones responsible for the church having everything that it needs there. They're actually supposed to do the role of ushers as well, like people who are ushering in people to sit where they need to sit. Everything related to order should be under the rank of subdeacon. Okay. Yeah, so you go from rank to rank. You don't have to. I mean, someone can say a chanter their whole life. Like if, if chanting is their thing and chanting is their gift, and they can stay a chanter, you know. Um, okay, so after subdeacon, then there is full deacon, or just deacon, right? So the, the full deacons, they they are consecrated, which means like the priests. So they they are supposed to wear black. Um, if they're you know whatever state of marriage they're in, whether they're single or or married, that doesn't change after. So once you become a deacon, you can't get married, um, uh, just like a priest. Okay, and it's supposed to be a fully consecrated role. So you're not supposed to have a job outside. You're not supposed to work in any other thing. You're fully consecrated, and uh, the deacon can um, give communion, the blood only, can give the blood to help the priest give the blood. The, the board of the church is actually supposed to be only deacons, full deacons. Of course, we don't have 
enough deacons. We don't have actually any deacons in our diocese. So we can't implement that. But it's supposed to be actually that the board of the church is only full deacons. The priest is not even supposed to be on the board of the church um, because it's an administrative role. And the priest is supposed to only be focused on the spiritual role um, and to not distract himself with the administrative. Okay, But of course, we don't, we don't implement that at this point. So the, the, the full deacon uh, can preach, teach, can, can, do all, can handle all the administrative aspects of the church, should be the deacon. So when people have questions about, like, you know, there's not enough toilet paper in the bathroom, you go to the deacon. You don't go to me. So, uh, um, okay, so that's full deacon. And then after full deacon, there's archdeacon. Archdeacon is kind of like uh, the deacon who's in charge of all the deacons. And there are not many archdeacons. Like, for instance, the full deacon that serves in the cathedral in Egypt is an archdeacon. Um, but he has the same role, essentially, as deacon. Okay? Um, so those are all the diaconate ranks. Okay, well, then the, the rank that's above the diaconate is what? Hmm? Priest. Priest, presbyter. Okay? And there's um, the two ranks under the priest. What are the two ranks? First rank is? Hmm? First rank is priest. That's called in English is priest. Um, and, and the role of priest, of course, is to be like a search leader, a church to pay the liturgy, to officiate the sacraments, to be intercessor for the people, to commissions. Um, all these things we're familiar with. There's the rank of priest, which is the Hegelman. Okay, the Hegelman is a priest, okay? But the difference in role between the priest and the Hegelman is essentially administrative, right? From a ecclesiastical perspective, in terms of the gift, the priesthood is the same. There's no difference. It's not anything that the Hegelman can do that the priest cannot do. Um, but there's supposed to be the way that the rank of Hegelman was originally designed is that there would be one Hegelman for the region. For instance, let's say a city like Houston, there would be one Hegelman in Houston. And that Hegelman would arrange for services in all churches. So for instance, he would be the one to decide this church is going to have a Bible study on this day, this church will have a Bible study on this day, making sure all the services are distributed, that there's no con conflicts between them, so people want to go to multiple Bible studies, they, there's no conflict. That's supposed to be the role of the Hegelman. It's more of an administrative role, okay? So it is a higher rank, but it's not like higher in terms of um, the, 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 the gift of the priesthood itself. It's just more administrative authority. But in practice, we, we don't really apply this, and Higgins tend to be uh, ordained just based on seniority. So, say, you know, we'll go around to all the churches, and according to the seniority rank of the priests, he will ordain them Higgins after many years of service, let's say 20 years of service, um, they, they will eventually be ordained Higgins. Okay? Um, so, those are the two priesthood ranks. Then, what's the next after the priesthood? Huh? Bishop, but there's actually, and I mentioned this before, there's another rank in between bishop and priest, which is not very used. I mentioned, I think, last week. Do you remember what it was? Or the week before? Huh? Chori Episcopus. Chori Episcopus means the village bishop. And this is like a rank that's kind of in between bishop and priest, and it's designed again for like if there is a bishop of a diocese, but there's a certain area of the diocese where he does not visit often, and he wants to put like someone who is a vicar, a vicar meaning someone who is his representative there that has some of his authority, 
So he could choose to ordain this Hori Episcopus. Now, in practice, there are very few Hori Episcopus left in the church, and it's not really something that's practiced very much. Um, I'm not actually even sure if there are any left right now, um, because typically it would just be a Hegoman um, that's put in such a position. But um, by having someone of a higher rank who can then be the one, like, uh, the, one, the one who is overseeing, like, a, a region, okay? So then after that is the bishop, Okay, so the, the, there's there's three ranks of bishop. What's the first rank? Bishop. Okay, and the, the bishop, of course, has the gift of the laying of hands. He can uh, ordain whether deacons, deacons or priests, um, and he's the one who has the authority of the priest. Actually, the bishop is the one who has the real apostolic authority. The priest is just like the assistant of the bishop, right? Because the, the bishop is the one who decides if a priest serves or not. Right, so the the priest doesn't have authority in of himself. The bishop is the one with the authority, and the the authority is delegated to the priest. Okay, um, so after the rank of bishop, there's after that metropolitan, and again metropolitan to bishop is similar to the the, the relationship between priest and hegumen. It's an administrative role. Typically, um, bishops who have been bishops for a long time and are bishops over a very large area. Uh, will be granted the rank of metropolitan and typically those who are metropolitans have other bishops serving under them But there's more than one type of bishop Okay um, There are there are bishops who are ordained over dioceses, So they're called enthroned bishops or diocesan bishops like uh, Metropolitan Yusuf is a diocesan bishop. He is ordained over this diocese and once he is ordained over this diocese he can never be removed. I mean, uh, except for the case of like someone being excommunicated or something like that. But he can never be transferred to somewhere else. This is like he's married to this diocese, right? A diocesan bishop, for instance, can never become pope because he is married to the diocese that he is in. And, and he has ultimate authority over the diocese. There are other types of bishops, which we call general bishops. General bishop is a bishop that doesn't have a specific diocese, but is ordained to serve in a general capacity. For instance, um, his holy name Pope Nuda, before he was Pope, he was the Bishop of Education. He was ordained specifically to serve in the area of education in the church. And because he was a general bishop, this was later to become Pope. If he was a Dicean bishop, he couldn't have become Pope. They have what we call auxiliary bishops. Auxiliary bishops is like Algeria and Bavisolar. They are bishops that are general bishops, but they are serving under under bishop. Like, uh, has a great serving under him, and he's delegated to him an area of diocese for him to serve. He's not a replacement for the Metropolitan Bishop Yusuf, he is his, his, his vicar, his representative, um, to serve in a certain area. Because again, the diocese is large, which is when you typically ordain a Metropolitan because the diocese is very large, and you need even multiple bishops serving under him. Okay. The same is true with Metropolitan Scorpio in California. He has multiple auxiliary bishops um, also serving under him. And then, of course, the final rank is the Pope. Okay, the Pope, of course, he is. Now, the one thing again I want to emphasize is between bishop and Metropolitan and Pope, from an ecclesiastical authority perspective, they're the same. They're all bishops, but they have different administrative authority. So, for instance, the Pope is the, the representative of the entire church, but he's still a bishop. Right? He is the first among equals. He is not a higher rank than the others. 
This is different than the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, the Pope of the Catholic Church is actually a higher rank and actually he's even seen as being infallible um, uh, in the Catholic Church. But in, in the Orthodox Church, the, the, the Pope is the first among equals. He is like the face of the Church, the head of the Church, but he is just, when he meets in the Synod with, with all of the other bishops, he is just one voice, he is one vote. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's oftentimes, of course, the other bishops will defer to him out of respect and reverence, but it doesn't, doesn't mean that they have to. Like, they can vote against him. They can vote, say, no, he wants something. They say, no, I don't, we don't want it, okay? So he is, he is the first among equals. So that gives you just kind of an overview of the different ranks, okay? Any questions so far? Okay. So when we refer to the ranks of the priesthood here in this presentation, we're speaking about um, those which have been received through the laying on hands, the laying of hands, um, along with the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we're speaking about the ranks that are uh, ordained ranks um, that 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 the bishop will place his hands for the coming down of the Holy Spirit for ordination. Okay, and actually this is a distinction that sometimes we don't make. There is a difference between ordination and appointment. We tend to use the word ordination kind of exclusively because we kind of know what we're talking about. But there's a difference between ordination and appointment. The, the actual ecclesiastical ranks of deacon, priest, and bishop, those are the ones that are actual ordinations. Right? The other ranks, the lower ranks of deacons, for instance, these are not ordinations. We call them appointments. But we tend to just use the same word um, to refer to all of them. All these are scripturally based ranks which are mentioned in the Bible. Right, so you'll read about bishops, priests, and deacons all in the Bible and in the book of Acts as well. Um, so bishops, um, uh, the, the first bishops in the church were the apostles. This was actually the very first rank that God created was the rank of the apostle. And the distinction between bishop and apostle is the apostles are the ones who were explicitly called by Christ. The, the first generation of bishops, if you want to call them. The ones who were explicitly called by Christ, we call them apostles. This is why, actually, we call St. Paul an apostle, right? How is St. Paul an apostle? Hmm? Because Christ is the one who called him, even though at this point Christ had already uh, had, had left the earth. He, this was after his, his crucifixion, right? But Christ still called him. This is why St. Paul is an apostle, and this is actually why there were some people at the time that rejected the apostolicity of St. Paul, because he was not among the other apostles that were alive at the time, uh, of Christ, okay, but but he, we call him an apostle because he was called directly by Christ. Uh, another word that is used in the scripture to describe the bishop is overseer, which is episcopus, right? Episcopus means to see from above, right? Like scope, kind of like telescope, right? The word scope means to see, and epi means from above. So he's the overseer. He is the one who manages the whole church. And Christ himself was also referred to as Escobos or Overseer. First Peter chapter 2 says, If you were like people going astray, sorry for you, were like people going astray, but now you have turned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The bishop of the church is representative of Christ. Of course, you don't worship the bishop, but he reminds us of Christ. The bishop is the living icon of Christ. This is why when the bishop will come into the church, one of the hymns that can be chanted is Ilogimenus, which is blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord the same. The same hymn that we chant on Hosanna Sunday, uh, when the Lord Christ enters into Jerusalem and they sing Hosanna and Christ, right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This hymn that we chant 
on that Sunday for the coming of Christ is the same hymn that can be chanted whenever the bishop enters the church because it's a reminder to us of what the bishop represents. Okay? Also, whenever the bishop is present, there should be a deacon who's holding the, 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 the uh, bronze serpent. If you've seen, you know, the bishop carries a staff because he's the shepherd. Okay? But there is another staff, which is this golden bronze staff that, that is called the bronze serpent. And this is a symbol of the bronze serpent that Moses made for the people in the wilderness. Whenever the people, God sent snakes to go and to bite the people as a plague because of their sin, he told him, make this like statue, this bronze serpent, um, and then anyone who looks at the bronze serpent will be healed from the poison of the snakes, right? And this bronze serpent represents Christ because just as we die from sin, we look to Christ on the cross who carried our sin for us, and so in him we have salvation, in him we are saved. So the, the, the thing that's killing us, the serpents are biting us and poisoning us, we look to the bronze serpent because Christ carried our sins, and in him we are saved. So because the bronze serpent has a symbol of Christ, when the, again, when the bishop enters the church, there is the bronze serpent um, that also reminds us of who he represents. Um, in Acts 20, it says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he, brought, which he bought with his own blood. So again, we see the term overseer. Overseers are God's representatives who are entrusted with God's work. In Titus chapter 1, it says, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. Both in Titus and in Timothy, 1 Timothy, um, uh, St. Paul speaks about the requirements of being a bishop. He speaks about how he has to be a godly man and blameless and upright and moral and so on um, as, as, as the, the, uh, the, the, the requirements. Okay. With the same meaning, St. Paul speaking about himself and about his assistants, he says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So he calls himself a steward of the mystery of God. And this is what the bishops are. They are stewards. Like God, Christ places them to steward the church, to be responsible for the church, right, for a time. They are not the owners of the church, but they are stewards. They are, they are the servants of God that have been placed there for a time to lead the church. The Bible explains the, ne the necessary qualifications for the rank of bishop or overseer. These include that the individual must be able to teach, must be, not be a recent convert, must also have a good reputation with outsiders. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, and in an epistle to Titus, St. Paul said that an overseer, uh, holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able encourage, to encourage others by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So um, that's why like the, the bishop is the teacher. He is the one who... Um, interprets the word of God, and we look to him to understand. We look to him to um, understand uh, how we in, how we should interpret and, and read the word of God. Since quality and condition are not possessed by every believer, the strength of priesthood is important for any believer to assume. So, going back to the idea of is everyone priest? Is everyone a bishop? Well, the New Testament is very clear that there are certain requirements to become a bishop. So if the certain requirements become something, then I mean by definition, everyone is that thing, right? Because it's a selection process, and only those who are elected can be bishops, right? So that means not everyone is a bishop. 
So go back to the idea that there is a specific priesthood rank, not just addressing the priesthood of all believers. Nor is every believer specifically responsible for taking care of God's church and the ways in which his representatives are. The word elder comes from Acts 14, where it said of Paul and Barnabas concerning their mission in Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So we're not talking about elders. So the word elder, there's actually some words in Greek that are translated elder, uh, which actually mean elder. There's other words which are actually priests. Presbyteros means priest, but in the uh, New King James and, 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 and most of the Protestant translations of the Bible, because the, the, the Protestant church rejects the idea of the uh, sacramental priesthood in the New Testament, they translated that word elder as well. So everyone is considered elder. Why? Because they, in the Protestant church, the majority of Protestant churches, they have lay leadership. Lay leadership meaning non-ordained leadership. Um, and because they, are, because they are just, they're lay people, they don't have, anyone can be an elder. Anyone who is selected by the congregation to be an elder, someone who is considered to be like a wise person, a learned person, and so on. So this word elder, um, oftentimes it's actually the word priest, but in the versions of the Bible that we use, it's translated elder. So in Acts 14, it says, appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So this is where we get this word. The appointing of elders was accompanied by prayers and fasting, and these prayers would certainly have been special ritual prayers for ordination, since the same terms, prayer and fasting, were used when Saul and Barnabas received the laying of hands. So there were certain rites that were used for the ordination of the, the apostles, like Saul and Barnabas, um, uh, and there's also rites that were used for the ordination of the priests. So just as now we have different rites that we use in the church, different prayers that we pray um, for different occasions, including the ordination prayers. This rank is mentioned by St. Paul to Titus. It says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So who is it, the one who's responsible for appointing the elders? It is the bishop. Right, it is the bishop. That's why the church is hierarchical in that way. Like everything that we've mentioned, all these ranks, are, they're a hierarchy, right? It's like a top-down. Um, as opposed to being uh, more of a congregational uh, hierarchy, and, and like for instance, there are some churches where every church decides for itself what it believes. Like I, when I say every church, I mean every congregation, right? Every church building, um, the congregation of that church decides do we accept this? Do we reject this? Who do we want to be um, our our leader, right? Whereas in the in the book of Acts and the Bible, right, in the first church, it was hierarchical. So the apostles, they laid hands to, uh, to ordain the next generation of bishops. And then those bishops would select the priests that would, they would then appoint in every church, right? So it came from the top down, Christ to the apostles, to the bishops, to the priests. Also in the book of James, it says, Is any one of you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. This is where we get the sacrament of unction of the sick. Right? The sacrament of unction of the sick is a prayer that the priest or the clergy pray right, on oil for the sake of 
anointing those who are sick with oil for their healing. This is where we get from, and again, he's saying, when you say, call for the elders of the church, priests of the church. Notice that it doesn't say in this verse, all one of the believers who have to get a healing. This is called the elders of the church. It's specifically calling the people to the, to, to the priests. Um, it is speaking here the gift of healing, the office of the priest. Also, first Timothy speaks about the elders. It says, the elders direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So part of the role of the eldership, the priest, um, is to labor in the word and doctrine, meaning to study and understand the word of God and to teach it. This is why it is the role of the priest to preach and to give sermons and to give Bible studies. This is the part of the role that has been given to them. What are some differences between the priest and the bishop? So the first difference is that the bishops have the right to appoint the priests. Right? So uh, it says in 1 Timothy 5, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. So that means what? That the bishop were the one responsible for, uh, for laying hands. Lay hands meaning when the bishop lays hands for the coming of the Holy Spirit on a person to ordain them to be a priest. This is something that, number one, it's not like something someone can choose for themselves. And two, the priests themselves did not have this authority. It was only the bishops that have this authority to ordain the priests. And this is true of the deacons as well. The, the, the bishop has the authority to ordain the deacons. The canonical law of the church mentions that the priest is to be appointed by one bishop, but that the bishop is to be appointed by the laying on of hands of no less than three bishops. So... Uh, a bishop can be ordained by three bishops, okay? Um, and in practice, there are not going to be three bishops on their own that get together and say, okay, we're going to ordain a bishop. In practice, of course, the pope is going to be the one who is um, uh, approving of the ordination of the bishops. And if you've ever seen the ordination of a bishop, the entire synod lays hands on the bishop in order for them to be ordained. Like the whole church is supporting the ordination of the new bishop. It's not even just three. It's not even the Pope by himself. But this was instituted during times of persecution because if it were to happen that the Pope died and there was no opportunity to ordain a new Pope or the church was scattered and there was no like way for the bishops to meet together, then there would be a way to continue the, to continue the lineage of the priesthood, the apostolic succession, by being able to ordain more bishops if you only had three bishops instead of needing the entire synod to meet or needing to have the pope. Okay, so this is why uh, it was important to have this. So there would never be a time where there would be no more bishops because if there, were, if there were happen a time where there would be no more bishops, then there would be no way to ordain anyone else because bishops are the only ones who can ordain more bishops or ordain priests and so on. The second difference is that the bishop can judge or bring to trial a priest. Um, again, when St. Paul is speaking to Timothy, he says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. And the, the bishop, or sorry, the priest derives his authority from the bishop. So if the bishop decides that I don't want this person to, to serve for whatever reason and to, to judge him for maybe something he has done, this is again within the authority of the bishop to hear an accusation against him, to have a trial and to say, no, this person should be removed from his service because of what he has done. Okay, so again, that is the role of the bishop. 
The third rank is that of the deacons, and um, this rank actually existed before the priests. So the originally had the apostles, and the bishops, and then you had the deacons. Um, you didn't have priests to leader. The priests' uh, rank for priests was created in order to assist the bishop, right? Um, deacons were created first. Um, and also, when we use the word deacon, we didn't make me think of the deacon that we see here, or just like have a liturgical role. Original deacons that were ordained in Acts chapter 6 were ordained to be servants. They were to serve widows, to serve those people who um, were, the church was distributing food for the poor. And this was the role of the deacons meant to service instead of the apostles directly. Okay, So deacons are first mentioned in Acts chapter 6, where certain conditions are stipulated by which those who are to be deacons would be distinguished from other believers. And it says they should be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom should be ordained through the length of hands of the apostles to carry out certain responsibilities in the church. Again, it was an ecclesiastical rank. Only certain people qualified for it. And it was through the apostles, the bishops, that the rank was given. So again, there's a hierarchy. And only certain people who were selected were promoted to this rank. The rank of bishop, along with that of deacon, is mentioned at the beginning of St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians, where he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Right? So, um, so, so in this greeting in the letter, right, Paul and Timothy, Paul is an apostle, Timothy is a bishop, and they are greeting um, all the people, including the bishops and the deacons. Right? So uh, all these ranks existed, right, at that time. There are special requirements for the deacon to be ordained, um, just like there are requirements for the bishop and the deacon and the, for, the, for the bishop. It says likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. And this is why, whenever someone is being ordained to the rank of deacon, they should not consider that the role that they are receiving is simply a liturgical role. Simply, I am okay. I am supposed to stand in the liturgy. I'm supposed to chant hymns, and that's the beginning and the end of what I do. Um, actually, if you look at the requirements of deacons, it was a spiritual requirement. It was talking about the way that I live my life outside of the church, not just that I'm talented at singing, not just that I'm talented at whatever service it is that I've called to do. Even when the original seven deacons were ordained in Acts chapter 6, it says we need to find people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit, why? Because you're going to be distributing food to the widows? Why do you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do that? It's an administrative role, right? But the, the idea is, is that everyone who serves the church has to be able to serve with humility, has to be able to serve with a spiritual sense and, and a spiritual love that we have for those that we serve. And that's why those who were filled with the Holy Spirit were the ones that were looked for, sought after, in order to be eligible for this rank. So this is important because sometimes in the church, when people are seeking after a rank, all they're thinking about is the glory that I will receive by having such a rank. You know, I will receive a glory when I'm a deacon. I will receive glory when I'm promoted from one rank of deacon to the next rank. And instead of thinking more about what is my responsibility, how is it that I should be faithful and a good steward of the service, instead I'm thinking more of what I'm going to get for myself, right? Like I want more privilege. I, I want something greater. Um, I've been this rank for many years now. It's ready. Or even, you know, because there are certain minimum requirements for the different ranks of deacon. So, for instance, to be a chanter, you have to be six years old. 
and you have to learn the congregation responses in the liturgy. To be a reader, you have to be 16 years old. You have to be doing another service in the church. You have to be attending church uh, a, a certain percentage of the time. Um, uh, and, you, and you have to understand the scripture, be able to read well, and so on. Um, and then for a subdeacon, you have to be 21. Um, and you, have to, uh, you actually have to take a test. And you have to understand the symbolism uh, in the liturgy and so on. These are the minimum requirements. But sometimes people approach it as, if I'm able to meet the minimum requirement, that means that I need to be ordained. I'm turning to and I need to be ordained. That's not how it's supposed to be. People take it as being kind of like also entitlement. I'm entitled to this because I met the minimum requirement. But look at the requirements that are in the scripture for any rank of clergy, whether it be others, deacons, bishops, it is a spiritual requirement. The way that I live my life should determine where I'm eligible to hold a certain rank in the church, even for things that we don't necessarily think of. Again, original deacons, they are deemed to serve food, right? Um, we are serving, and we're trying to choose servants to serve in the kitchen, right? Like, are we, are we trying to think of, are they filled with the Holy Spirit? Right? Like maybe that's not what, what I'm thinking. Maybe that's not what it's in my mind. But everything we do in the church should be filled with the Holy Spirit, and every way that we interact with each other should be, um, should, should be spiritual in such a way, and all of the requirements for all of the ranks are, are spiritual. Um, so that's the, um, that's all we have today as far as the ranks of the clergy. Um, So um, the, the original ranks were created in the church, like for the various deacons, each one has its role. But over time, um, the, the distinctions between them were kind of blurred and lost. So we would have chanters that are serving the altar. We would have people who are not chanters reading. Um, we, we would, everybody did everything. There really was no distinction between the ranks. And so it, it kind of became, well, what is the point of the ranks? Again, it goes back to the ranks were just considered like glory. Like, oh, yeah, I got promoted to the next rank. Well, what does that mean? Nothing. It doesn't mean anything. So um, his eminence, Metropolitan Yusuf, decided uh, to, to, to um, propose to all of the bishops of North America to restore the ranks to how they should be and to agree on that the chanter's role is chanting, the reader's role is reading, and then he introduced not introduced. I mean, the rank of subdeacon had existed from before, but it was not used. Um, very few people were ever promoted to the rank of subdeacon. He proposed that we would use the rank of subdeacon to be those people who would serve at the altar. Now, even that is technically not right, because the people who are supposed to serve at the altar are just the full deacons. But we don't have full deacons. Maybe in the future, it will eventually be the case that we will have full deacons and that everything can go back to the original intent of what these ranks were created to be. We don't have full deacons now, but at least we can have a special rank, which is the subdeacon, that is the ones intended to serve in the altar. And the goal of this is to have everybody focus on their area of service and to take it seriously, and also to understand that, for instance, serving in the sanctuary, it's a privilege, right? And it's something that requires understanding. It requires a level of maturity. 
Um, what would happen sometimes when we'd have very young kids serving in the, in the sanctuary, maybe they don't know what to do or they would goof around or they would, you know, joke around or do, do different things. So it's not like in order to emphasize the sanctity of the liturgy and what we're doing, they decided that we're only going to have a certain rank of people to be serving inside. And so that's what we have been doing in our diocese. Not all dioceses have adopted this, but in our diocese, we, we've adopted it. Yeah, thank you. That's a good question. Yes. All ranks are calling. So there's no rank that is application that you apply for. Even the deacons, you know. Yeah. Yes. So your monk can become a priest. They're they're called hieromonks. So a hieromonk or a priest monk is a, is a monk who uh, can be ordained a priest and actually even in the monastery. So in the monastery, um, they need priests to pray liturgies. So typically, again, what happens in most monasteries is it's based on seniority. So after a certain amount of time of being a monk, you'll get promoted to the rank of priest. It doesn't have to be this way. Again, it's one of those things that it wasn't really intended to be this way. Um, but, but over time, that's kind of the practice that's been adopted. So, so you, can have, you, can be, so you can be young, a deacon, uh, you can be monk, and nothing else. Right? So the, the rank of monk is kind of a completely separate independent from the other ranks. Yeah. Pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, and we thank you, Lord, this day. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to understand your economy and how is it to erupt the church and how the church is structured. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here at the church and giving it for us as a means of our salvation. We ask, God, that you grant us always to be pure of heart and come, O Lord, with a spirit of humility, seeking, O Lord, the forgiveness of our sins and seeking your mercy at all times. The prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints. Here it says, We pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord, God, and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all, go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.